I don't think it ever goes. Like I still feel guilty to this day because I have given that, I've passed that on to him. But I think that guilt does diminish. Hello, brave friends. I'm Jessica Pate, and this is episode 111 of Brave Together podcast. I think we would all agree that parenthood is full of complex emotions. There can be such joy and anxiety in getting pregnant, so much pain and beauty in the act of giving birth, and even the best of times can be tinged with guilt. We've talked about that a lot on this podcast. Maybe we feel we're not spending enough quality time with our kids, or we're passing on bad habits, or worse. What if we knew that genes we passed on to our child gave them a diagnosis and the potential for lifelong challenges. How do we process that information? How do we navigate a scenario we never saw coming while still functioning as a parent and a partner? How do we stay afloat for ourselves and our families when we are so blindsided by the all-consuming pain of that guilt? Today we hear from Laura Barrett about dealing with just that. Laura's son, Bailey, was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis as a baby, and this is their story. I sat and I cried for a very long time. Was I the parent with the worst reaction to this somewhat obvious news? I was distraught, not because I felt like I had an imperfect son, or that I loved Bailey any less, but because I had yearned for this not to become a reality. I had prayed with every fibre of my being that this would not be the outcome. The guilt for giving this to Bailey engulfed me like a dark cloud that would remain for years. The grief set in and the fear took over. I sobbed for the lost hope and for what awaited my dear baby boy. Bailey, it's how we respond to things the cards we get dealt with in life and how we deal with them. You can choose to sink or swim, be a victim or a hero. You may be small, my boy, but you shall be a hero. You will use this to drive you and defy the odds. You will be healthy. You will do lots of sport. You will laugh. You will love and be loved. You will be successful in whatever you do. You will be who and what you want to be. You will soar through life. You will be positive. You will be our light. You will find strength beyond measure. You will be a role model to others. You will inspire. You will be our hero. This is what I truly see for you, Bailey. We love you. As I sat writing this message to Bailey in my daily journal, I just prayed it would all be true. That vision of our child as healthy, beating the odds and thriving can feel like a life raft, but holding on to that vision can be overwhelming, especially when doctors and specialists start sharing alternate visions. It is such a jolt to the mind and to the heart when you had envisioned your baby when you were pregnant and you dreamt about family life only to be told it's going to be a very different path. I still 
remember the moment we received Ryan's diagnosis. The shock, the fear, the sadness, the what-ifs. Bailey had inherited two faulty CF genes, fact. One from me and one from Kev. I feared CF, but I knew I must educate myself so this fear fades. Yet I still refused to go online, worried about what I might read. So I just kept jotting down my questions until our CF education day with the specialists on Bailey's team, who would now care for him until he returned 16. Every morning I woke feeling like this situation was insurmountable, like there was a cloud lingering above my head. Like my world, our world, has changed forever. I know and pray I will look back on this one day and feel silly for worrying so much. When Bailey is playing rugby with Harry and Milo, football with his friends, running alongside me, swimming and excelling at school, that is what I truly see and believe for my son, and he has the world's best daddy to help him stay fit and healthy, as exercise is so important for people living with CF. In this moment, we just need to find the strength and knowledge to come to terms with our new lifestyle. My overriding emotion amongst the guilt and heartache was fear. I was afraid for Bailey and for our family. I was afraid of the unknown, of CF and what may happen, now and in years to come. I prayed it wasn't a bad case of CF and that Bailey would fulfill a normal, active, healthy and long life. But I had also prayed it wasn't CF and God didn't hear me so my faith was dwindling. My emotions were creeping up on me, and so I took to my journal. I love you, Bailey. Always know that. I am so, so sorry. My guilt is immense and plagues me daily. I honestly had no idea whatsoever, and I hope you find it in your heart to forgive me. I'm truly sorry. Love, Mummy. Sometimes it's not the diagnosis, but the fear of the unknown surrounding that diagnosis that causes us the most pain. We do all the torturous what ifs. I had no idea where on the spectrum of Prader-Willi syndrome that Ryan would land. Would he be higher functioning? Would he be lower functioning? How would he be affected cognitively, academically, socially? What was the food drive gonna look like for him? I had no idea. And when you are delivered a diagnosis, and then of course you do research and you read and read and read all about it, the what ifs are swirling in your brain. I had to quickly accept that I could not control the outcomes. I couldn't control where on the spectrum of Prader-Willi syndrome that Ryan would land. I had to lean into my unconditional love for my baby, for his life, for his struggles, and tell myself it would carry us through. It takes a lot of strength to navigate this unknown, and Laura is doing that daily and has even written a book to help other parents navigate it too. I hope you will take a peek at her new book after you hear our conversation. 
Hi, Laura. Welcome to Brave Together Podcast. I'm so glad that we are connecting across the many, many miles as you are in the UK. Yes, thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, I have to say that listening to your your recording of your story is so pleasing as well as compelling, just listening to your lovely accent. And I just thank you so much for being willing to share this story with our audience. I know so many moms can relate absolutely to what you pointed out and just the raw emotions that you feel that we all do feel in some way, shape or form when a diagnosis is delivered. So let's go back a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your family and your children. Sure. So I've got three boys, Harry, who is nine, and Milo, who's seven, and Bailey, who is nearly four. So when Bailey came along, it just completely sidelined us because, you know, we had two healthy children and then obviously Bailey came along and received his diagnosis. So it just blindsided us entirely. As it does. And so when Bailey was born, tell us about those early days. Sure. So we had him and all was well. um, And then we brought him home. And then there was quite a lot of sort of green sick. And my mum is actually a midwife and she was staying with us. So she sort of said to go and get checked. And we did, and it transpired he had a blocked bowel and a distended stomach. So they blue-lighted us from our local hospital to a a top London children's hospital uh, called Great Ormond Street. And yes, and then they tried to sort of clear the blockage, but unfortunately they couldn't. So they actually operated on him when he was seven days old and fit a stoma so that they could sort of bypass the blockage. Um, So that's like a little piece of bowel that would then be put on the outside. And then obviously they had to take blood for sort of genetic tests and things like that just to actually see what was causing the blockage or if it was just literally a a bit of constipation. (laughs) How scary. You have this precious little baby, teeny tiny, and then you're wound up back in the hospital and then surgery. Oh my goodness. So then what? So then they tried to get all the, the enough blood to run the genetics test because it became apparent that it wasn't just a natural blockage. And then finally okay. they got the genetics results. Probably we'd been there probably about three or four weeks. And then they diagnosed him with a condition called cystic fibrosis. And that's actually, it's a genetic condition, but it's a recessive genetic condition. So what that means is you need to pick up both CF genes from both parents. So if you've got one healthy CF gene, but one like faulty CF gene, the dominant healthy gene will override. So you won't have the conditions. You can be a genetic carrier, which is obviously what my husband and I are unbeknownst to us. So Bailey Mm. obviously picked up both the CF genes, whereas obviously Harry and Milo, our older two boys, they maybe either just picked up one or potentially none. We don't know yet. And who was the person that delivered that news to you, Laura? It was the CF nurse called in the extract, Claire. And when she came in, I knew what she was going to say. <laughs> um, but yeah, obviously they need to sort of actually say it. So, And you knew because you knew they were testing for that. Had you been doing your own research as well? Yeah, no, I hadn't. I'd sort of been steering clear of any research, if I'm honest. My, it was my husband who was doing <laughs> all the research. Um, but she said that she'd come back with the CF fellow if he was positive and that's who was with her so I sort of knew and also because it is a genetic condition it runs in the family of course 
Now, I didn't know of anyone on my side with it, but um, my husband does have a cousin with it. So that was sort of a bit of a warning light, I think. More for Kev than me. I sort of was just sticking my head in the sand and assuming that it would be fine. <laughs> well, or you, I, I mean, I was like you, Laura. We we spent, thankfully, only a month in the hospital, but I wasn't looking at anything. And this was before smartphones as well. But any opportunity that I had, I think I went home two nights out of that month. I didn't look up anything. I didn't research anything on the internet. My husband was looking and he was the one who actually saw the diagnosis that ended up being Ryan's diagnosis and asked our doctors to test for that. But I, I just didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't think it was going to help me in my headspace while I was living at the hospital with Ryan. So I get it. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose I just thought I'm in a hospital with a whole load of specialists. Uh, if I've got a question, I can ask someone who's qualified to answer rather than me go and read something from someone online that is just, you know, not perhaps as knowledgeable or accurate. Absolutely. So something that you touch upon very strongly in your story, Laura, is about feeling so, so much guilt. Mm, Yes. (laughs) Yeah, just a crippling level of guilt. And so here you are almost four years later. And how have you processed over the last four years? this genetic piece. When I look back over the four years, well, nearly four years, it's, it's crazy actually how far, you know, both Bailey and myself have come, if I'm honest. So, you know, I just think, and this is what I sort of touch on, I think the guilt, you know, I defy any parent to not feel guilty when you receive any news that your child, you know, has a condition, an ailment, a broken bone even under your watch. And I think you can't escape it. You have to learn to live with it. And over time, I don't think it ever goes. Like I still feel guilty to this day because I have given that, I've passed that on to him. But I think that guilt does diminish. It does not like if I sit here and think about Bailey and cystic fibrosis and everything that it entails, I feel you know, I'd go almost go back to that, you know, that starting point. But I think that over time, when you realize that you can still have happy memories and love and laughter and all the things that you would have had, you know, regardless of the diagnosis, I think those emotions and memories and feelings override the guilt. So it's sort of the guilt's up here. And then gradually, sort of the the happiness sort of, you know, comes level with that guilt and then takes over that guilt. So it's not, you know, every morning at the beginning, you wake up and you're just, you're just literally engulfed with this guilt that you just can't shake. And eventually, I think you just, I think you have to sit with it and accept it and, yeah, find a way to almost forgive yourself, because then, you, you, you know, you can then shed some of that guilt. And I think as well, uh, one thing that I did a lot at the, in the early days was journaling, which obviously then enabled me to write the book in the first place. But through the journaling, I think you can also shed a lot of your guilt because you can express exactly what you're feeling and sort of let it out in a very private, personal format. So through all of that, I think I've got to you know a point where I never thought I would get to, if I'm honest, to begin with it, you know, it's taken a lot of time and a lot of work sort of on myself almost to, you know, accept and move forwards and accept that altered version of the future. 
Did you feel stuck though in the beginning? Like what propelled you out of just completely wallowing in the quicksand of guilt and letting it take you down? Because it could just take you down. Yeah. And I think it did. I think it absolutely did take me down. Like I was literally on my hands and knees, you know, begging for someone to help me at one point. And Mm. they couldn't, they couldn't change it. You know, they couldn't cure it. Um, And I think I had to help myself. And Mm -hmm. in stark comparison to myself, my husband was leaps and bounds ahead of me. So I Uh was sort of, you know, way behind him and his sort of acceptance and progression. And I was sort of like the dead weight that was hanging on behind trying to keep up, but just literally just couldn't get to where he was. And I think that's just different personalities I think that's he he sort of had done a lot of research online and like we touched on I I didn't and yeah I I don't know if perhaps it was a maternal paternal difference I I don't know so yeah I felt totally stuck and I would say for over a year I was really struggling yeah and so what helped you decide I've got to work on me I'm the one responsible for pulling myself out of this. No one else can really do it for me. No one else can really do the work for me. Yes, I can feel everybody's love and support and care, but I have to do the inner work. Like what what struck you? How did you decide to do that? Yeah, it was one night actually. I woke up in the night and I could have sworn that Bailey was crying. We were back at home. This was like a few months later. And I woke up and because like, he's not crying. I thought he was crying on the monitor because he was obviously in his nursery. And I just, I just was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be sick. So then I went to the bathroom to be sick, but I wasn't sick. And I just had this awful panic attack. And I've never had one before. Oh. And I've never had one since. And I honestly, because I've never had one, I honestly thought I was like having some sort of stroke or I on, we honestly thought I was about to die. Yes. So we called the ambulance and... Um, they sort of managed to calm my breathing. And so Kev's rocking, you know, the baby in the bedroom. The other two boys are asleep next door. The paramedics are by my bed. And I just literally, honestly, I just saw my life flash before my eyes. And I was like, how is Kev going to care for these three boys if I, you know, die now? <laughs> and it was just the biggest wake-up call that I was like, I can't keep living under this amount of pressure and sadness and grief. So... I literally just had to find a way forward. So I I got some CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. I just found lots of different coping mechanisms within CBT. I carried on journaling. I exercised a lot. I I just had to accept it, I suppose, and move forward rather than stay living in the trauma that had happened, you know. Well, thank you. Thank you for for recognizing that for yourself, for your husband, for your boys, and and modeling that for us and sharing that with us. And you've talked about journaling a few times and you mentioned it in your piece. So tell us how that is such a powerful tool that our moms who are listening, maybe this will spark them to start. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Because I didn't really, I didn't journal before Bailey arrived. It was actually just my, um, I've got an older sister and she bought me a notepad and pen. I don't think she really meant it to journal. I don't know. She just gave it to me while we were staying in the hospital and I used it to journal while we were in there. And I just find it the most intimate way to express those feelings that perhaps you don't even want to say to your nearest and dearest. Like there were thoughts going through my head that I couldn't even bring myself to roll out of my mouth and talk to my husband about them. And I just needed something to, when I was sat down in the evenings alone in the hospital with Bailey next to me and just 
you know, let it all out and try and compute everything that was happening. Because as you very well know, like when you're in hospital, it's it's either like moving a million miles an hour and you can't keep up with all the information you're being given or you're just sat around doing absolutely nothing. So I was just like, you know, I've got to find a way to get this straight in my head and also express my feelings. And then when we got back, I sort of continued that habit. And it's a habit sort of I continue, you know, to this day, especially when I'm either like really stressed or busy or what have you. And then I didn't do this in the hospital, but I would actually recommend this now is just have like three things when after you journal, just three things you're grateful for, even if it's, you know, a decent cup of tea on the hospital ward. Um, Just something just, you know, to actually add a bit of positivity to your your days. Um, But yeah, it was definitely a, a, a massive sort of healing tool and coping tool for me, journaling. Oh, I like that. I think that's so incredibly practical it's tangible, it's possible. And that's a great tool for all of us. So at the end of your story, it really touched me how you're writing to Bailey and you're asking Bailey to forgive you. Where are you at now with that feeling that you need to seek Bailey's forgiveness? I think right now, while he's young, Mm -hmm. I almost managed to move that part to the back of my head because he is aware of differences with his brothers you know he is we we sort of you know drip feed that he has this thing called cystic fibrosis so he's aware he knows but I think I think it will be something that arises when he's older and when he realizes the extent of what CF is and the, the implications of that and I think that and I do sort of touch on this in one of the support guides in the book, is that I think that there is going to be a point at which where he's crossed with us. I think there is. I think there has to be that blame game. There has to be someone to say, you know, I'm so annoyed that I have this. I don't want this. Ultimately, it's come from you two, and I'm really cross with you. And I think that you have to allow him to do that, and you have to respect that. And I think just like all children lash out at their parents for anything that's unjust or unfair or just downright frustrating. I think that is going to be the process he has to go through and we have to accept that. And I think he will come out the other side of that and realize that it's not our fault, just like it wasn't our parents' fault that we inherited that gene as a genetic carrier. And I think once he understands that part, which will probably be when he's even older, um, then of course, you know, there will be that that sort of peace. I also think, since we had Bailey, the outlook for people living with CF has improved immeasurably. When we had Bailey, there was absolutely no treatment for him whatsoever. There was one treatment available called Acambi, but he wasn't eligible for it because he had the wrong genotype. Now there's a new treatment out called Cavtrio, which he would be eligible for. And um, in the States and in the UK, it's getting amazing, amazing feedback from people who are taking it in terms of, you know, clear lungs and good health. And so I think if that works, that it would just make such a big difference to the outlook of everything compared to when he was diagnosed in 2018. So yes, I think, you know, there are days where I still think, my goodness, he's going to be so cross with us. But, you know, I think as parents, whether that's a parent to any child or a child with medical needs, 
you know, we're just winging it, aren't we, as parents? And we just need to say yes. and do the right thing at the right moment and hope that that is what they want to hear and that is the right thing to say and do. I think it's very wise and I think it's very generous of you to give him that freedom to be upset or angry or cross, as you say, sort of preparing that that might happen. Not that we want to spend too much time in the what ifs because that can, that can bury us, but knowing that there is a direct genetic link and he might respond in that way at some point. I, and just giving him the grace to do that and the space to do that is very, it's very loving. Laura, before we go, I want you to tell us about your book and where people can find you and where people can find your book. Certainly. So my book is called Unconditional Love um, by Laura Barrett. And the first half is all about our story with the start of Bailey's cystic fibrosis and his diagnosis. And then the second half is support guides. So um, taking key topics, some of which we've covered here today, and really giving practical advice to other parents going through a medical diagnosis for their child. So it's not CF specific in terms of the support. It's very generic in terms of any parent who's receiving a medical diagnosis for their child or perhaps a long hospital admission. And so it might include coping strategies, tech journaling techniques. There's a really great chapter on expressing if you're in with a newborn, but you want to keep your milk supply up, but baby can't feed, you know, managing hospital stays, things like that. So real practical advice for parents. So yes, and that's available on Amazon around the world. Wonderful. Wonderful. We'll make sure we link that up in our show notes for our listeners to access that as quickly as possible. Thank you so much for being willing to share so rawly your your story. And I wish you great success with the book. And I think it's incredibly generous of you to have all those helpful tools in your book as well, not just sharing your story. So thank you because we need that. There are so many moms out there who need it. So thank you, Laura. Thank you very much. And thank you for inviting me and having me. Did you know that Brave Together Podcast is an extension of a nonprofit organization called We Are Brave Together? We Are Brave Together is here to combat isolation and compassion fatigue and burnout that moms face by offering support groups, resource groups, retreats, and retreat scholarships. If you have never heard of We Are Brave Together, please go to our website today, wearebravetogether.org. And if you're a mom who is seeking support and sisterhood, please fill out the little pop-up form so that you can be a part of this community. Please check out everything that we are offering on our website today.